Our subject for today is Christ Jesus, our High Priest. I think right at the outset we need to see that when we're considering this topic, we need to see it on a couple of levels. One is how maybe the majority of Christians would view Christ as our High Priest in his capacity as High Priest for us personally. But in God's purposes, God has a purpose for believers, Christians, those who trust in the Saviour, to, to always rise to the highest places that he grants to them in his grace. And in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12 and in chapter 10, we're told that we can, together as God's people, enter into the presence of God spiritually in worship. And we can do that because of the great priest over the house of God. So this office that Jesus has that we're going to look at and we're then saying in the title of our talk, Christ Jesus, our high priest, does apply to us on a personal level. But that is not the end point. In fact, it's only the beginning point of God's purpose in giving Christ the office of high priest. The end point is that a people together obediently serving the God of glory would come to honour his name through the one who stands forever in the presence of God as high priest on behalf of his people. You go back into the Old Testament and God had redeemed his people Israel from the slavery of Egypt and he'd rescued them, brought them through the Red Sea a symbol that we would take from the New Testament links with it to speak of baptism. He brings them to Mount Sinai, where there he says, this is how you should live as a nation for me on this earth, to testify to the glory of who I am and what I've done. And the people responded and said, all the Lord has said we will do. It was after that um, confirmation from the nation, the people together, made up of individuals, of course, who had experienced the salvation of God, but here they were together as God's people saying, we will do what God says. Then he gave instruction to build a tabernacle. It would be known as the house of God because God, his presence in a particular and special way would actually come to be there in a section of that called the most holy place. And there was a whole system of worship that God prescribed. It wasn't man-made. God said, if you want to serve me, this is how it's done. And that's a glorious thing when God says this is how to do it because God is good and right and all of his things. So if he says this is the way to do it, it's the best way to do it. So he gave that to Israel through Moses. And there was a key man designated by God to make all of that function. And he was the high priest. And Aaron was the first man to have that office conferred on him. Now he was a representative of the nation, here's the importance of seeing it as a collective thing. He was the representative of the nation before God. But the high priest also had responsibilities every day as people would bring their offerings and sacrifices. Now, he also had the responsibility to teach the people the things of God and the law. There's, uh, go back and, if you're making notes, uh, go back and look at Second Chronicles 15 and 3 in the time of Asa. Uh, one of the prophets of God comes to Asa, the king, and says to him, For a long time Israel has been without the Lord their God, and without a teaching priest, 
and without the law. So there was a responsibility on the high priest to, to be the one to help people understand the things of God so that they may enter into the things of God. And that's important for us today. When we're considering Christ as high priest, he has been given so that we might understand the things of God so we might enter into the things of God. Then it seems to go quiet in Scripture because you have the Jewish system of worship of God who has said he would reside in the, in the most holy place, in the tabernacle, and then afterwards in the temple. And the high priest was the only man who would be enabled and permitted by God to enter into that place once in the year with sacrifices for himself and sacrifices for the nation, for the people. Once in a year to come into the very particular presence of God. What high privilege. That then persists through the Old Testament as the system that God had set up for his people that they may be represented before him and he might, through the high priest, teach his people what it is they should do. You then come through the New Testament. This is a long intro, I know. Uh, we're going through the, you go through the New Testament and there's no mention in relation to Jesus Christ of him having the office of high priest until you come to one book and it's the book of Hebrews there had been a a prophecy in one of David's psalms in Psalm 110 where David says the Lord said to my Lord so he was acknowledging the Lord God Almighty he says the Lord said to my Lord so he realised there was somebody greater than him Sid at my right hand until you make your enemies, until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. The end of that psalm, it says, you are designated a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to go into the breadth of this topic today, but there's something in there where David is addressing the Lord God and one who is higher than him as if he's saying the words of the Lord to this one that's higher than him, you're designated a priest. And it sort of sits there, hangs there. And you're wondering, what's going to happen with that? How is that fulfilled? And it's only because of the book of Hebrews that we're brought into an understanding that Christ is in view. And Christ Jesus is the one who by the grace of God becomes our high priest that we might understand the things of God, that we might then enter in to the things of God. And that actually means that we would enter in as his people into his very presence, as we'll see. We're going to do a bit of reading today from God's word. Uh, we're going to work through Hebrews, and it's going to be as brief as we can make it. But as you're turning up Hebrews chapter 2, bear this in mind. We as individuals have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, as Christians, God has promised that his Holy Spirit comes and indwells us at the moment of our salvation. So we have a closeness with God, which is amazing. We pray to him, we speak to him, we worship him ourselves in our own lives. But there is something beyond that which God wants us to enjoy. Just like an individual Israelite could have had the same experience of praying to God and worshipping God in their own lives, there was something greater to be part of, and that was to be part of the people of God, honouring God in the way that he had said. So we're going to see that today. 
that Christ functions as high priest on behalf of his people. So Christ brings us into this and wants us to embrace then all that God has for us as his people. So it's seeing ourselves being part of the people doing that which God longs for us to enjoy. Hebrews chapter 2 then. Verse 17, we're, we're breaking in and it says, Hebrews 2, 17, Therefore he, that's Jesus Christ, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's on behalf of the people, see, in this scripture, that Christ becomes high priest. It's a function of his having become human by taking on humanity in him coming from the glories of heaven as we often speak of, the necessity of that so that we might be saved. The eternal son of God comes in human flesh. He had to be made like his brothers. It's amazing in every respect like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So it's in this service of God. See how it all ties together from what we see in Old Testament um, picture language there that's, that was given by God to be a glorious thing for Israel. It's now fulfilled um, in Christ for us in fuller measure. Faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's a corporate thing we're looking at here. That Christ himself would be the means by which a people would be set apart for God to honour him as they obediently worship him. Read on with me in chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. You who share a heavenly calling. That's not just the call of God that we might enjoy the presence of God for eternity. And that's why I think we have to be careful by speaking of the future that awaits the believer as being only in heaven. Because that's not what the scriptures teach. Scriptures teach of a new heavens and a new earth. And our eternal um, life in the future is a physical reality, if I can describe it that way, with God on the earth. So this heavenly calling, I understand it, means that we have a calling from God to be in his very presence in heaven. And this is where the thing ramps up so much from what they had in Old Testament days. God was dwelling there among his people in a tent to begin with, in a temple, and his presence was there in the most holy place. And if anybody entered except the high priest on the one day of the year, they would die instantly because of their sin and God's holiness and his reaction to them. Here is a heavenly calling. It's a calling from God. Come in. You who share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So in the New Testament, this is the beginning of us understanding that Christ Jesus is our high priest. He had to become like us, that it might be possible that God would bring us 
to himself in this way, that we might serve, that he would be the propitiation for our sins, that God would be satisfied in Christ so that we might enter. We have this heavenly calling. Consider him then, the writer of Hebrews says. The apostle. An apostle is a sent one, an emissary with a particular message. And Christ was the sent one who says, yes, I've come that you might have life. I've come that you might have life to the full. And the fullness of that life is the experience now for God's people to enter into heaven in worship. Which is what we believe by faith we've done this morning. Because Christ was sent with that message. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, you have to do a study on this yourselves because we just don't have the time. But confession is there. And confession is important. Confession is that which you're convicted of, that you're prepared to declare. He's the high priest of our confession. All that God longs for us, Christ is the one who brings us into it. The high priest was the means of approach to God for people to come to God. Christ is that. We have a heavenly calling. A calling into the very presence of God. And he is the sent one with the message of this good news in all of its glorious breadth. And he is the high priest of that which we confess. Yes, I can enter the presence of God because of him. And he was faithful in everything that he did. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. In verse 14. And we're skipping over some of the aspects that we could look at here. But let's just touch here on uh, Hebrews 4 verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. Here is a distinction between the high priest of old Aaron. Who when he died it was passed on to his son and so on. They were great yes. They were high priests but none as great as Christ. Let us therefore, no, that's not it. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We understand that that would speak of the people of God. Seeing that Jesus stands as great high priest on our behalf in the heavens. Granting us access to come before the throne of grace to ask God for the things that are necessary. In life for the service of God's people. That's us taking hold of what God wants for us. This is the one who has come to bring us in to the fullness of God's experience. He's passed through the heavens. The Jews had a theology that they saw a number of levels to the the heavens. So you would have had the sky and then a little bit above that and and so on. Um, He's passed through it all. The one who became man. The one who came with the message. The one who became the propitiation for the sins of his people. He has passed through it all. The son of God. He's been declared to be the son of God. Paul said, by virtue of his resurrection. He says, because of that, since we have this one who is in the heavenly realms, let us hold fast 
our confession. So here's this matter of obedience and realizing that God has this for us as the richest of blessings that we might enter his presence. It's something we hold fast to. He's the high priest of our confession. He's the one who enables all of this. We have to hold fast to it if we're to enter in as God's people and to enjoy the privilege of being there. Let us then with confidence draw near. To a Jew, and this letter was written to Jews, and they were Hebrews, Jews who had come to understand that Christ was the fulfillment of the law and they were embarking on a, on a whole new system of worship setting aside everything that had gone before and realizing that now it had become fulfilled in Christ and there was a spiritual outworking of this. This was an amazing thing for them. They would have thought nobody dare go into the presence of God apart from the high priest once in the year. And here is the confirmation. Holding fast the confession, that which Christ has come to give to us that we might embrace it, he says, let us with confidence draw near. Because he is great priest over God's house. We then go through chapter 5. And to make the point important. Chapters 5 and and 6 and 7. Are emphasising to us. That Christ as priest. Is so much greater. Than that of the priesthood. Of Old Testament days. That was uh, linked with Aaron and his sons after him. It was linked with the law. You're going to have to go off and read that yourselves. But it brings in Psalm 110 that we mentioned. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek appears on the the pages of scripture in Abraham's time. And he was priest of God most high. No mention of where he came from and no mention of his demise. So the writer of Hebrews uses that and says, um, Christ wasn't of the tribe of Levi. So when Christ... Uh, When God appointed him as high priest, it's in the order of Melchizedek. No beginning of days, no end of days. He's great. So the writer of Hebrews is wanting to shift the, the Jews to whom he's writing from thinking only about Christ as seen in the high priest of Aaron and his sons to thinking about this great one. So we're to lift our eyes to the greatness of who this high priest is but let's go to chapter 7 and verse 23 because the richness of this is it's a a full year series in itself at least and we're just just taking bits and seeing what this means for God and for us Um, Hebrews 7 verse 23 the former priests i.e. the priests who were part of the Aaronic priesthood. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death uh, from continuing in office. But he, that's Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just stop there for a moment. There's the repeat of it. He holds his priesthood permanently, yes. Priesthood most often in the scriptures, speaks of fulfilling the function of being a priest. It doesn't always mean a brotherhood of priests. That, interestingly, only comes in in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
But when you see the, the word priesthood, in the majority of times in Scripture, it speaks of a, of a priest fulfilling the office of priest. But in 1 Peter 2, where it speaks of people forming the house of God, obedient to God, serving together as a priesthood, then it's a brotherhood of priests. Again, I'm going to leave that to one side. So he holds his priesthood, the office that he fulfills. Christ has it permanently because he continues forever. He stands in the glory of heaven on our behalf forever. That is glorious. He stands before his God and Father on our behalf forever. So consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Because he lives forever, because he is great high priest, he's greater than the others, we know that our salvation is absolutely assured. Uttermost here speaks of completion um, without end, but also the perfecting of something. Both senses are in the word. Our salvation is infinitely glorious and is without end, but it's complete because it's complete in Christ. He is able to save to the uttermost. Who? Those who draw near to God through him. So here's the invitation. It's not excluding people. That those who don't draw near to God are not saved. That's not it. It's that people who realise that they have this invitation from God. To be with the people of God. To enter into God's presence by virtue of the fact that the high priest is there. They know the completeness of this salvation already and are embracing it now so that they may experience its fullness in the future. So our entering in reminds us of the infinite worth of Christ and all of the promises to God that he makes to us in him. An infinite salvation that is eternal and it is complete, finished forever. When we enter into the presence of God, we're reminded of that. Because we could not be in the presence of God if he had not in his grace given us the Saviour who has become forever the one by whom we approach, the one who is priest forever. Verse 26. For it was fitting, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men and their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. It's just emphasizing the point. He stands forever as high priest of his people. He gave himself. Notice verse 27. We are his people once for all because he offered himself once for all. The individual who knows the salvation of God is secure in the salvation of God in Christ Jesus for eternity. That cannot be changed. God has said you're mine. You're mine forever. But he's, notice it says here, offered sin, offered sacrifices for the sins of the people, referring back to the priests of old. It says that Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. 
That was so that, yes, he might save individuals. But the purpose of God that we need to see in this, that the high priest office of Christ brings us into, is that individuals aren't to remain individuals. They're to come together to honour God as a nation, as a people, as a house, the house of God. Where God is pleased to say, they are mine and I dwell among them. And the evidence of that is they're laying hold of this confession, holding fast to it, and they come into my presence. That's the next level, if I can put it that way. So individual believers have this relationship with God for eternity through Christ. Yes. And he has given himself so that we might have life. But that's not the end of it. It's the beginning of it. He has given himself so that we might together enter into the very presence of God in spirit in heaven. That is amazing. Let's carry on into chapter 8. The writer here says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. So all the chapters that have gone before are rising to this point. He says, so the point we're making here is, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since they are, there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Down to verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Is this telling us? The point of this, the writer of Hebrews is saying, that this great priest over the house of God is greater than the line of Aaron and who stands forever and has his priesthood forever. The point of this is that we have such a high priest. This is what God has given to us in his grace. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And notice this section, a minister in the holy places. It's not just an office with a title that does nothing. This is an office with the title and he ministers in the presence of God on behalf of his people. That's what it says. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. It goes on to speak that the plan and the pattern that Moses was given to construct the tab tabernacle as we read it was just a copy um, of and a shadow of what is in heaven. So what was constructed on earth reflected what is in heaven. And Christ is in the presence of God on our behalf. And notice where it says that every high priest of the old order was obligated to come with gifts and sacrifices for sins. It says thus it is necessary for this high priest to do the same thing. So there's an ongoing service that Christ, our high priest, expects to do on our behalf as we would approach God. Gifts. Gifts are given out of love. An expression of gratitude, aren't they? We come with our gifts and he ministers on behalf of his people as they give their gifts. This is from them. Sacrifices for sin. He's already done that because he offered himself. So we come with our 
thanksgivings and with our gifts. And he is the one who takes them and gives them to our God. Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old. Because the new covenant agreement, blessings that we have come into are far better than the old. Because God has made a promise which exceeds them all. You can come into my very presence. Only the high priest in Israel's day could do that. You come. I sent Christ with the message of this. He has come that he might become high priest to bring you in. I've sent him that you might come in. That's the joy of what we're considering. We need to go to Hebrews chapter 10 then to see, to see this. And we'll attempt to wrap it up with Hebrews chapter 10. Now we're, we're skipping over the fact that Christ's sacrifice, what well we've touched on it, was once for all and it stands forever and before God on our behalf. And I hope we're seeing that it's not just for the individual that they might enjoy that themselves. That is, of course, everyday experience. And we, we worship God with our lives and we pray to him, we appeal to him and so on. We know his nearness and everything. But there is something more that we're invited to come in. And let's see it in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, uh, in verse 19, Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, Remember what we read. It says that he's a minister in the holy places. So here's the link. We're able to come in as well to the same place. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, with pure water. Note this. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is another high point. In the, the mountain that you scale. Of glory in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, given everything that's gone before, knowing that you have a confidence, not in your own merit, but in the merit of the blood of Christ and in the life that he lived on your behalf. And since we have great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. There's the invitation again. Let us draw near. You're going to need to go back and see in an earlier chapter where it speaks of the hope that we have. The hope of Hebrews is defined as the hope of drawing near to God. The hope of entering into God's very presence. So when we get to let us draw near with a true heart in verse 22 and then into verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We're realising that this confession that Christ came to make known to us, that we're to hold fast to, that we might enjoy the fullness of God's salvation as we would enter his presence, because we can, because the great priest over the house of God stands in the presence of God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. This is a present hope. It's a weekly hope. It's the hope that we have that on the first day of the week, by faith, 
We believe what God has promised and offers to us in Christ Jesus that together as his people we appear in his presence and Christ stands on our behalf as great priest. It's amazing. We come that he might have his hands filled that he might minister in the holy places. What a responsibility on the individual believer to realise that for Christ to fully function in this way it requires a people who submit out of love to the things that God has said and come together in service and lay hold and hold fast this confession of the fullness of what we can enjoy here and now looking all the while to what is to come it's glorious verse 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works that's that flows out of it knowing that that is what we're about as we do it week after week then out of that flows the stimulus to love and good works because we've experienced the love and the mercy and the grace of god in his presence who wouldn't want to have that experience in this world to realize that Christ Jesus is our high priest stands in the heavens for us so we get on with our good works and verse 25 not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more you see the day drawing near when the writer of Hebrews was writing to this group of Jews there were some people who might have been getting a little bit confused or disaffected and they might have preferred the old system with all of its tangible stuff. Here we're talking about spiritual things. We're, we're creatures that like things that we can hold and systems that we can follow. We're brought into something far greater than that, the spiritual reality of the presence of God. And I wonder if these people were starting to go back into their old ways because it's easier. It's by faith we lay hold of this. Let's not neglect to meet together. Some are in the habit of it. And we do what we can to encourage. Encourage one another. I went to visit a sister in the Philippines a couple of years ago who hadn't been attending uh, the worship gathering of the Church of God in Makopa for, for over a year. I asked the the brother that was going with us said, when was the last time she was visited to be encouraged? Oh, a year, brother. Okay, it's fair enough. That gives me enough information. So we got in there and we had a conversation with his sister. And I went to this, this text. And I said, I'm here to encourage you to realize what it is that God longs for you to enjoy. As a Christian, yes, that you will experience it yourself, but you'll experience it with God's people. I said, so I'm here to encourage you. I said, but think about this. I said, the fact that your seat is not filled on the Lord's day, when the people gather physically, then to enter spiritually into God's presence, I said, it's a discouragement to others. Have you ever thought of that? She goes, no, I've never considered it. I said, so we're here to encourage. I said, you're an encouragement by being present. So brothers and sisters listening, I encourage us, please, let's not neglect it. How can you neglect the privilege of by spirit laying hold of, by faith laying hold of, 
the things that God longs for us to enjoy through Christ Jesus, our High Priest. It is by faith that we take hold of it because chapter 11 comes after chapter 10. Chapter 11 is all about faith and entering into the fullness of what it is that we would experience. I'm just going to read this to finish. Hebrews chapter 12 comes after chapter 11, interestingly. But there's the focus on faith, laying hold of the things that God has for us. And then chapter 12, verse 18. Listen to the privilege afforded those who come before God. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's the highest privilege in this life. Let's pray.